2: down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 to get 30 to get 20 20 20 to get 20 20 get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so
1: give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch
3: 45 up front for three months plus taxes and
1: fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com
2: finding your perfect home was hard but thanks to burrow furnishing it has never been easier
4: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. The Premier League returns. One of those early kickoffs that Jurgen Klopp loves as Liverpool go to the Etihad, the top two facing each other. Possibly a little early to call it a title decider. Also, today, a big vote to allow Ruben Neves to move to Newcastle, and he doesn't want to go and they don't want him, and yet an energy sapping move that makes it nicer for multi club ownership that just doesn't feel quite right. Eddie Howe has so many injuries, the word ravage seems acceptable as Chelsea comes to St James's Park. Arise, Sean Dyches' dogs of war. Those dogs have been docked 10 points. Will Manchester United feel the Goodison wrath. There's the Battle of the High Lines as Spurs play Villa in a game that presumably would only take place around the centre circle. After that, we'll round up the final Euros qualifiers as Wales have to settle for a playoff place and Stephen Kenny leaves Ireland. Then there's some live tour backslapping, your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. Tom says, "Are you not all exhausted? I'm surprised there haven't been any injuries. How much pod is too much pod? Will you give the kids a chance for the next international break, which is in four months? Thank God." And Charlie says, "Can this lineup possibly reach the high bar for energy levels and expert analysis set by the lineup on Tuesday's episode? An all-time favourite episode in my eyes. On the panel today, uh, live with me in Brighton." Barry Glendening, welcome. Hello, Max. And Nikki Bandini, hello. Good morning. And Johnny Lou was on stage with us in Brighton, but managed to get the last train home and uh, is back in his house. Hey, Johnny. Hi, Max. Uh, how are you? I was asleep about 11 minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> until that until
1: that point, I was I was fine. I was fine at that point.
4: I
0: apologise. now I'm, I'm, yes. I'm worrying. I'm sorry I've, for waking you. I've had a you. bracing walk along the beach, yeah? the, the pebbles of Brighton Beach, mm-hmm. Couple of lunatics in the sea swimming. Wow! Didn't have wetsuits on for a pleasure. Them. Then I had a hearty breakfast, so you I'm did. full of beans. Wow! Literally, literally you and are metaphorically
4: And a very helpful hotel where they sort of, you know, they sort of shepherd you to your table and literally don't leave you alone and ask you how each individual bean is tasting. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Man City, Liverpool, big one in the title race. Man City have uh, won their last 23 home games in all competitions. Liverpool have only won one of their last 14 away at City. Um, an early kick-off is to give City adequate time to recover ahead of their Champions League match with RB Leipzig on Tuesday. Perhaps, Barry, it means they don't have adequate time for all their players to be ready for this one since most of them have flown back in a big plane together from South America.
0: Yeah, well, I was sort of under the impression that this was an early kick-off because of the, the crowd trouble that occasionally occurs before these games. Possibly. I think at the corresponding fixture last Season, the Liverpool team bus was attacked uh, as it pulled up outside the Etihad. But I could be mistaken. I'm really looking forward to this game. I think last year, I think it was in April, this game really showed up Liverpool's many shortcomings that were you know, fairly apparent anyway. But they took the lead. Uh, but then Jordan Henderson and Fabino were completely overrun in midfield. they've since left the club and and replacements have been drafted in so we'll see how they get on Um, Erling Haaland didn't play in this game but City still won pretty comfortably Jack Grealish had arguably his best game of the season and I think it was the game where um, John Stones was was basically made took his bow as a a midfielder made his debut as a midfielder stepping out of defence into midfield and giving Liverpool all sorts of problems. So it'll be interesting to see what tricks, if any, both managers, I suppose, have up their sleeves for this game. But it's a much improved Liverpool side that is travelling to the, the Etihad.
4: Hmm. And uh, Haaland's out um, uh, with a foot injury that he sustained playing for Norway. No Edison, Nicky Kovacic, Ake, and Matthias Nunes as well. So it's is it a good time to play Manchester (laughs) City? Am I allowed to ask that question?
3: I mean, there's never a good time to go away to City, I don't think, Um, especially... To be fair, I was thinking to myself just now, the good time to play Manchester City is when Rodri is unavailable, but Mm. he is available, so that one doesn't work. But I suppose... I suppose you could argue that missing the best striker in the Premier League and maybe the best in the whole world is probably a good time to play them. Yeah, there's there's worse times you could play them.
4: Yeah, I think so. Um, Johnny, how do you feel about, you know, Jürgen Klopp doesn't like the early kickoff and he just says, look, how can you put a game like this on it? 12.30 12.30 on a Saturday. Honestly, the people making these decisions, they cannot feel football. <laughs> um, and it is the moment where the world pays the most to see a football game. These two teams could have all together about 30 international players. They all come back on the same plane, all the South yeah. American players, they'll fly back together. We put them on a plane from Uruguay, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, one game, one plane, they all come back. We have to make sure we are ready for this game. I mean, there's just too much football, right? I mean, if they're playing out in Brazil or wherever, and then they've got... European football next week, these games have to be played. No, whenever you schedule this game, it's going to be annoying. Either it's too soon or it's too near the European games.
1: Yeah. I mean, during the... There was a, there was a massive heatwave in the summer of 2015, and my five-a-side team, because of fixture pile-up, other, other teams uh, didn't join the league until a little bit later. We had to play two games in a row. <gasps> at Seven, and then 7.45 in over 30-degree heat. And... Frankly, Jochen Klopp, <laughs> I I don't I don't know what on earth you're complaining about. We we we, we got Hadley beaten in both games. To be fair, but you know we, we we didn't complain. We didn't we didn't put up. We didn't say it was a crime against football. We didn't say the the organisers of Power League couldn't feel the game. They were just trying to get a league on. And and here's Jurgen Klopp. Every single time, oh well, we can't we can't possibly play at twelve thirty because did, did you, this is genuinely true. Last time he said because the players have to eat pasta at nine
4: a.m. <laughs> I think that's a really good reasoning. I couldn't do that.
3: I once played um, many years ago when I was younger a twelve-hour football marathon, which was rolling five aside games uh, for twelve hours. And the next day, I physically Oof. couldn't move any part of my body. It was awful. Um, but this lunchtime kickoff thing. Um, uh, it's just put me in mind because I know Baz is a big fan of terrible protests like marching to a stadium you're going to anyway singing yes. songs you probably would have said anyway um, but initially when they first introduced the 12.30 kickoffs, there was one of the, the most sort of impressively tepid protests I, I can remember which was at the Parma fans did the Protesta del Panino which sounds better in Italian because it literally just means the sandwich protest and what it was was at 12.30 when the game kicked off Everyone got out a sandwich and started eating instead of cheering.
4: It's <laughs> quite nice, isn't it? Um, oh, I like that, Johnny. What? How, Liverpool's midfield has been really impressive so far. Have they got enough there to do something against City? Uh, I mean, let's find out. I guess <laughs> I, I, it is exciting in, in that because because they have kind of totally
1: they totally revamped that midfield, and it, it's actually been one of the the really positive and exciting aspects of their season. The way they've they've pretty much reinvented it. So, you know, seeing how the likes of Endo and and Gravenberg and and schottmush live, they play handle a a Manchester City midfield, which, if you remember their their last game at Chelsea, was, actually found itself in a bit of trouble. Like, that was an end-to-end game that City just tried to, you know, put the brakes on time and time again and tried to exert some control over and just couldn't do it. And, the way that Chelsea went about that game, I mean, I, I hesitate to call it a template because every team will, will have their own style and strategy, but the way that Chelsea managed to get about City in midfield and, and then stretching them through the likes of Cole Palmer and Sterling, I wonder if if Liverpool you will know, have watched that and thought, well, maybe we don't just need to Kind of block up this midfield and, and 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 sit tight and 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 wait for our opportunities. Maybe if we if we you know absolutely smash into them from from the first whistle, there is a chance to expose a few weaknesses that that um you know that, that Chelsea did a couple of weeks ago.
3: I think there's like a really fascinating, I guess like one of the battles within the battle on the right hand side for the I mean Salah's having an, an exceptional season, so of course with Haaland not being there, the focus on on the season Salah's having is is even more sort of I guess to the fore and. On that side, Doku's been great going forward, but is he really going to give you that much defensively? And Guardiola had an absolute shocker against Chelsea, as I remember. So that side of the pitch is... I mean, the problem is it's City and they're at home, but you look at that and think, well, you can get at them there and you've got maybe the best player in the league for getting at them there.
0: Any thoughts, Baz? <laughs> um, I, no, not really. I, I, <laughs> beyond what's been said already... It's a game that could go either way. We know City have off days. I don't think it's anything resembling a title decider. And, you know, as I said already, this game fixture really highlighted Liverpool's weaknesses last year, like really exposed them. And Klopp has done his utmost to strengthen in those areas. And we will see what you know the proof of the pudding will, will come on uh, Saturday I expect city to win but I you know I wouldn't be totally astonished if, if they got beaten either
4: Newcastle play Chelsea uh, and on that note, there was that vote this week. A motion submitted by the Premier League that would have temporarily banned player loans between clubs that share common ownership, so-called related party transactions, failed to earn a sufficient majority at the meeting. um, It was defeated 12-8. League rules require a minimum of 14 votes for any motion to pass. Proposal to change the rules had come about after concerns were raised over Newcastle United, potentially using their Saudi Arabian links to buy Ruben Nevers or get him on loan from Al Hilal this winter. It turns out that they don't really want him and he doesn't want to go. (laughs) I think someone tweeted about, you know, it was just some transfer gossip that led to this whole vote. It is unusual for a motion proposed by the league to be rejected by the league, right? So it was Newcastle, Man City, Burnley, Forest, Chelsea, Sheffield United, Wolves and Everton who voted against it. Johnny, how serious is this? In itself, I don't think it's a
1: huge deal because this is, uh, you know, I, I think, as I've said before, the cat's kind of out of the bag on this the rules on multi-club ownership which is the future model for the game that's a kind of that's a rolling snowball that you can't put back in the bag Insofar far as you you know you want to put a snowball in a bag um <laughs> what i'm saying is that the time to, to stop this the time to to kind of put the brakes on wasn't you know it was probably several years ago when city football group for example were, were buying up clubs all around the world when you know big clubs in the premier league were, were having was setting up these strategic Partnerships with clubs in in Central Europe and obviously you know if you if you if you own more than one club you you know you're, you're going to try and do deals between them and now you have a, a situation where the the piFs of Saudi Arabia own four I think it's like the, the top four teams or, or four of the top teams in in a league that this is you know it's an unprecedented situation and I don't think football regulations are, are anywhere near up to speed for dealing with 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 this kind of scenario. Um, so I, I think the the Premier League has always been run on on naked self-interest and the clubs that voted with Newcastle this time they may not have multi-club ownership uh, but they, they certainly see a future in which they themselves can profit from it uh, so I think that, that 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 explains why so many clubs who have been potentially hostile to Newcastle's rise uh, have voted for them this time it is a phenomenon that, that is actually just it represents what, what football is going to look like in the next couple
4: of decades I'm Jack Bitbrook from The Athletic tweeting Ian Holloway complaining about Watford loaning all those all those Udinese players in 2013 is basically the scientist at the start of the disaster film who knows what's <laughs> around the corner but isn't listened to at the time. It just sort of Nikki. It intrinsically multi club ownership intrinsically feels wrong.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Is it intrinsically wrong? I, th-
3: I mean, I suppose it's. I guess it sort of depends on your postmodern view of the world, doesn't it? I mean, as a as someone who grew up with a idea of what a football club was and and that sort of, I guess it was already probably teaching by that point but still felt like something that was uh, you know more embedded in its community and, and came from its community I think you have one idea of football whereas I think that the truth is that football clubs even that word club is going to start to feel anachronistic at a certain point because really what we're talking about is brands and you now have as we've talked about multi-club ownership you've got Groups, in some cases, nation states that own a series of clubs. And effectively, that's going to be a brand. And I think we're going to eventually see football move more and more towards a place where the brand has its global imprint and it's going to move its assets around that global sort of structure that it has as it wants to. And I think that football hasn't really opposed that at any step that it's been happening. And I don't see how it's suddenly going to start. Now, I did say on the stage show last night, the problem with these meetings is, in England, everyone sort of has the meeting, votes the way they vote, and then shrug and, and leave afterwards. What you need is a few more Italian presidents to approach situation like Aurelio earlier De Laurentiis would, where he calls everyone a dickhead and jumps on a moped and <laughs> with a stranger and shoots off into the night. Then it makes you get some sort of uh, um, kickback, maybe.
4: So in practice, what does this mean, Barry? It means that, you know, if Jude Bellingham signed for Al-Hilal...
0: Well, there's no financial fair play in the Saudi League, so in theory, Newcastle currently have 14 players unavailable for one reason or another: injury, suspension, whatnot. Yeah, Lewis Hall can't play because he's uh, he's on loan from Chelsea. So theoretically, one of those PIF-owned clubs in Saudi Arabia could use their limitless wealth to buy. Jude Bellingham and or Evan Ferguson from Real Madrid and Brighton respectively and then loan them to Newcastle, agree to pay all their wages. So Newcastle suddenly have Evan Ferguson and Jude Bellingham on loan, presuming they haven't exceeded their quota of five loanies and uh, they're not paying any money for them.
3: It's, it's only an extension of what the ultra-wealthy have always done, which is find ways to avoid you know whatever loophole find ways to avoid whatever regulations it is if it's I don't want to pay all my taxes I'm going to have an offshore account and I'll work out ways to, to not pay the full amount of my taxes now it's well if I don't want to work within the constraints of this financial fair play system well maybe we can have you know our, our offshore football clubs and we can move them around and and have everything we want to do that's the way that this is going and the problem is it I don't really think the FA has the power to restrict that. The only people who could really restrict that are FIFA. And, I mean, expecting FIFA to do that is pie in the sky.
4: Yeah. Um. Onto this game, in, as Baz has suggested, Johnny, at Newcastle have so many players out. Look, Chelsea, they beat Spurs 4-1 and got no credit. Then they drew with City and got all the credit. But you just when you feel Chelsea have turned a corner, they tend to turn back around the corner, don't they? But you could see them going to Newcastle and, and doing quite well here. Yeah, I, I think that the problem with Chelsea is more they have performed, they perform
1: really well against high line teams that are teams that come with them a little bit, um, that basically give them space to run into behind where they have this incredible, um, this incredible battery of pace to, um, you know, to, to, to attack teams on the flanks and on the counter attack against teams that have sat back against them. I think, I mean, Brentford is a, is a, an example that springs to mind uh they have struggled they've actually struggled to 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 break those teams down now what we've seen from them is it is a kind of evolution uh in terms of the cohesion the players that obviously have have come from you know uh come out of this huge turbulence and are learning to play with each other You, you see those relationships developing um between for example the likes of caicedo and enzo in midfield and obviously you have the confidence that comes from beating Spurs and, and drawing against City. Um so yeah, it will be a totally different kind of test for them playing against a Newcastle. And we, we all we all know how Newcastle play. They are, you know, Atletico Titan side. But They clearly are going in in the right direction, Chelsea. And and I think this is a real test of whether they can break down a team that isn't just going to run at them and give them the space that they want.
4: All right, that'll do for part one. Part two, we will carry on our Premier League preview with Everton Man United.
2: Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
4: Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so then to Goodison, some reaction from uh, our discussion of the 10-point penalty. David said a message for... Well, it was a message for you, Baz, but it says that Brian fella's is a complete bellend. Always has an anti-Everton agenda. So I don't know where he gets it from. But listen, Brian, you should be nicer to uh, to the Evertonians.
0: Uh, I don't have an anti-Everton agenda. Completely indifferent to Everton. I presume he thinks I have one because I said they deserve their punishment. I mean, they kind of agreed themselves they they were in the wrong. Mm-hmm and their only complaint is about the severity of their punishment, not the punishment itself, uh, or not the fact that they were punished, I think they'll appeal. I think uh, the punishment will be reduced. They've been docked 10 points. But I presume uh, David and uh, many thousands of like-minded individuals who think everyone is, who, you know, most of us couldn't care less about Everton, will all be at Goodison feeling paranoid that the world is out to get them, because they've been punished for breaking some rules, uh, clearly defined rules, and uh, they will rally behind their team in, in tremendous fashion. I expect Everton to be absolutely fine, um, because the teams at the bottom of the league are so bad that I I think they'll finish well clear of the relegation zone. But, you know, we've, we've seen the siege mentality at Goodison Park before it's going to be heightened now. They're playing a Manchester United team who apparently are in form <laughs> top of the form table you wouldn't know to look at them and I won't be a bit surprised I, I actually expect Everton to win this game yeah I mean, there, that is you know the nature of football
4: fandom Nicky is that you know if something goes against you justified or not you do you do sort of decide that the world is against you and like Sean Dice is like the perfect person there <laughs> to sort of create this whole I mean I just think that the noise at Goodison for that, for, you know, that kickoff will be amazing.
3: Yeah, definitely. I I think the points penalties just, I, it's one of those areas of the football rules, I guess, where because there isn't precedent and there isn't really like a written down hard set of rules on well, if you break this rule by this amount, this is how many points you get penalised. It all feels a bit like pulling a number out of the air, right? Like how do we get to ten points? That's the bit that feels a bit sort of mysterious and and I think that whatever number they put on that it would have felt the same so it's just a a bit of a sort of abstract question which is why the appeal is also going to be sort of interesting and you know again without wanting to always go back to comparisons to Italy when Juventus had their points penalty last season at least there was a clear guideline which was basically that they wanted it to be just enough to keep them out of Europe they felt like that was the adequate punishment was that you deserve not to play in Europe next season. you crop it on a sliding
4: scale can you? For Everton you can't say well listen we're going to give you a points deduction means you survive by a point and <laughs> right. whatever that is that'll be what it is
3: but yeah of course the fans will will take it and and um and and use that as as I imagine fuel to, to be even more um behind their team on the weekend and same as bears I think everton are easily good enough to stay up this season even with a 10 points penalty even though a 10 points penalty is a lot mm. I mean if that sticks it's not it's not a small amount it, it's it's a big chunk but I think there are there are some bad teams at the bottom of the Premier League this season
4: Man United are missing a lot of players Martinez Malassia probably Hoyland Ericsson Casemiro Johnny Evans did you see Johnny the the leak I don't know how much truth there is to it a section of Manchester United players believe the team's poor start is down to Eric Ten Hag overworking the squad in pre-season they've complained of beginning the campaign feeling as tired as when they finished the previous one Uh, those discontented include several senior squad members the Guardian's been told it's understood none have explicitly aired their concerns to the manager, which seems like something you would, you could do, and be better than telling someone who isn't at the club. Ten Hag believes his players are fully committed and comprehend the need for sacrifice if you need United are to be consistently successful. What do you make of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the saw the leak. I mean, it's a it's a very leaky dressing room, and and these things always tend to they, they always tend to rear their heads when. Well, I mean, they're not in crisis, but the results haven't been going the wrong way. They've just been in in their usual kind of cycle of chaos. I think you know, Ted Hag had a he, he always had a, he came in with a lot of credit last season after what he, he did at the start of the season. But like a, I guess like a politician or like a party leader, you you annoy you know you, you annoy one faction and and you just create more disgruntled rebels on the back benches. So he bombed Cristiano Ronaldo out, and okay, fine some of the, the portuguese speaking players at the club what delight about that ronaldo was was kind of a popular guy in certain sections of the dressing room but fine he all he away he's got enough credit in the bank then he, then he bombs out jaden sancho and you know again sancho not the most popular guy but but he has he has mates in that dressing room as well Obviously, the way that harry maguire was treated in the summer where that they tried to sell him and then that that, that whole saga of whether he whether he'd go or not uh, and then was basically frozen out of the team and then brought back in that's going to piss off a few people in that dressing room, so now you have a situation where it, there's there's approaching a critical mass of players in the United dressing room that Ten Hag has pissed off somehow. And as long as results are going okay, as long as the, the team is is picking up points, you know you can just about hold that together. But you can just sense that at, at a club like like United, as ever, two defeats or you know a, a bad month, and suddenly this whole this whole a whole. Full blown crisis breaks out, and that that that's the thing about United. You know, they can be top of the form table, <clears throat> they can be challenging for the top four. They can be sort of, they can be on, on a run, but you just feel that fragility to them. It's all, it's just, it's always on the verge of blowing up. And and I think you know that's still kind of
4: where they are. Um, so what he needs is good vibes, which is what you get at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. <laughs> um, Tottenham play Villa fourth v fifth, the battle of the high lines. I mean, it's really big for both of these sides actually, Baz if you look at you know where they are in the table and sort of. The momentum that Villa have and the fact that Spurs need to arrest that mini-slide of two defeats in a row.
0: Yeah, um, so they've lost against Chelsea and Wolves. The the Wolves won. You know, it was a very late comeback by Wolves, but Tottenham thoroughly deserved to lose and probably should have lost by more. They have quite a few personnel issues as well, as well as, you know, Van Perisic is out long-term, Van de Ven, Madison, Manor Solomon uh Romero Basuma, Ogi, and uh Ryan Sessegnon all absent. Uh Od- Ar- should be back because it oh, a yeah. game, yeah. I think he's injured though. Is he, not? Uh yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, I think he's injured. I looked at their injury list and he was on t- uh he might be touch and go, I don't know. Um anyway, Villa have a pretty decent away record. They've won five of their last six in all competitions if they can beat Spurs here and there's every chance they will uh, yeah that's are Spurs in crisis then three in a row having
4: started so well yeah Mark says Johnny how do you rate Spurs and the vibes impact of the new manager I mean we were on stage in Brighton so we might have a, we, we are slightly aware of your feelings towards these vibes
1: yeah I think that I think they'll I think they'll win against Villa <laughs> but I'm just—I'm not having—I'm just not having Ange. I'm not—I'm not having Ange Postacoglu. I just—I am—I am not. You're the—you're the
4: one him. person. You're beginning the backlash. As a coach, I just—I can't stand him. I just—I I, How? How can you not stand him? He's a lovely man. He's—he comes
1: across as a lovely man. All of the people go. Oh, he's—he's he's great. He, he's just a great. But nobody knows him all you all you know about him is the little sort of 45 second clips you get from press conferences and whatever that, that turn up on your twitter feed every every week where he's going oh, oh look you know we, we just love football mate mate if you you know if you come from where i've come from you know melbourne and you know playing playing with my dad on a, on a saturday and then we'd, we'd go off and have some some food after and we'd watch johan Cruyff on the on the television and Oh God, it just—it just, you know, it makes your heart sing, you know. And football, just football, just does that to you, mate. It's just—it's just the greatest game in the world, and you know, we all want this so much. And I'm like, honestly, it's just such
4: bullshit. But it's absolute. <laughs> <laughs> isn't there a? Isn't there a place? You know, amid all the, the you know, the sort of the cynicism and brutality and depressing things about the game isn't it nice to have someone to say actually I mean that is what football is about right isn't it football is about nostalgia and and memories of your you know your mum or your dad and taking you to old games and that and watching VHS's of Jimmy Greaves or whatever I mean that is sort of what football is and so it's just nice that someone is reminding us of that
3: well
1: it, it, it is in in the sense that coaching is these days is, is not, not so much about the, the technical side of things because uh you know lead position is is defined by wage bill and a and hundred other external factors and and you as a coach your job is basically you are you are the vibes guy you are you are the guy who has to try to sell the journey and make people feel really good about it and that's that's what he's he's been good at he's an unbelievable salesman he is an unbelievable talker I think on on the pitch you know things yeah, things have been going well but they have a they have a good squad you know they were There was a kind of a a thirst there for these really good players to just, oh, well, go out and play with a high line. And I'm I'm not I'm not saying that he hasn't coached them well, but I'm just saying he hasn't coached them brilliantly. He's just uh, he's just said some things, made them feel good about themselves. And these good players have been kind of infused with good vibes. What we're seeing now, or, and what we're going to see over the medium and long term, I think, is that Spurs are going to regress. They are they are nowhere near title contenders. They don't have a, a coach or a squad that's going to get them anywhere near the title race. They'll probably drop back to about sixth or seventh because there are far better funded and better 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 teams and better coached teams out there. But the, the prevailing memory of this season will be that, oh, it's a fantastic... Do you remember how we felt in October? Do you remember how, how, Ange, how Ange said these really nice things in October and November? And that, you know, he he will be able to sell this whole this whole season as a success. I mean, it took Mourinho a year to start looking for his next job. Ange's already at it. Like right? if, if you go back through the, the, the history of Ange, like the 2014 World Cup, Everyone loved that team, that, that Socceroos team. You know, they they charmed the world. They played, you know, fighting aggressive football, lost all three games. The the, the Enjoy Your Lunch speech. Remember the Enjoy Your yeah. Lunch speech? Oh
4: yeah. Yeah. I watch it every morning. <laughs> Yeah, he a goal in two minutes. They were, yeah. they were one nil down after two minutes. So, so when you said that, you know, elite <laughs> coaching, like elite coaching, is surely more than just vibes. You know, isn't isn't that the whole point of Guardiola, right? That he is, you know, he he looks at a season, he gets a team, you know, they're they're there or thereabouts, and then he works something out, like you know, moving John Stones into midfield, and then suddenly they just run away with it. I mean, obviously they have lots of money as well, but it isn't just but how
1: many how many coaching geniuses
4: are there? This is this
1: is I wrote a call about this, like. I wrote a column about this a few weeks ago. How many genuinely great coaches are there out there? Nobody really knows. We we, we think probably Guardiola. We think almost almost certainly Guardiola and Klopp, but everyone else is just kind of winging it, flailing around, pointed, pointing 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 you know pointing at things. I you know th- there's been all kinds of you know research done on this that the effect of one coach over another is almost never measurable.
3: i was just gonna, I, I do think the vibe thing is. Actually, genuine. I think a lot of football management is vibes. And I think that's like a weird thing to say. It doesn't mean, I think maybe I disagree with Johnny a bit about like the impact that managers are having, because I think that's not something that's saying that word can make it sound trivial when it isn't. You know, I, I feel like managers I've interviewed, managers I've spoken to, you talk to them about like, oh, the tactical stuff, and yeah, a lot of them have, especially in Italy, a lot of them have very sort of strong tactical views. But almost all of them will tell you, well, that's only like actually a small percentage of what's important. Like, what's important is that I can speak to my players, I can work out what they need, and I, and I do that individual work, and you know, I've got a coaching staff to help me with all the other stuff. What what I do best and what I think is most important is, is getting under the skin of 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 my players and understanding what they need from me. And I think that you know, in sort of a big picture, is vibes, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, Johnny's right that there's not that many great tactical innovators. I always find it hilarious that Max Allegri has a tactics app, Allegri Tactics app. And he literally, like, in every interview, would be like, tactics don't matter. Like, if you, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you listen to him talk, i say, tactics don't matter. And I come up with things in a sort of very. You know, he calls himself so he, he he talks about being someone who just like comes up with things on a whim sometimes and changes his team selections like that. So he, this idea that all of them are great tactical thinkers is definitely rubbish. But I think the vibes part of it really is what we used to call man management.
4: Yeah, and actually doesn't. But I mean, I guess a football squad is like any workplace, Baz, right? And if vibes are good, people are better, right? I've always. So the longer I've, you know, worked in this small box that we're in but you know just generally like if you if you create a good vibe and people want to be there then they'll be better
0: yeah I'd imagine so um that goes without saying and but I I do think there is a lot more to coaching than that I'm not an Eddie Howe fan but you know if you look at the manner in which he has improved several Newcastle players it can't just be that photo who you know know, were really poor or possibly some of whom couldn't even get a look in under Steve Bruce Uh, Joe Ellington's the obvious answer but there are others Uh, Lascelles, Jacob Murphy Sean Longstaff all you know much improved players under Howe than they were under Bruce there's more to that than him just putting an arm around the shoulder and telling them they're great same goes for
4: Unai Emery right yeah
0: oh absolutely yeah that's another great example but I'm intrigued to you know Johnny says uh, Ange is, is uh, and, and the impassioned rant he went on, on stage last night <laughs> against Postacoglu was quite something, I, I was- It's
3: worth paying for yeah, the live show can, for.
0: Yes, can the live show and catch it. up. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, You say he's a great salesman, but he, he just sounds like a perfectly normal human being. And I think that's part of his charm. Yeah, he sounds like a perfectly normal human being. <laughs> like,
1: you know. But like, how do you know he is, right? This is this is the thing. He, he he is able to sell authenticity really and I I don't doubt that you know there is a kernel of something really like genuinely heartwarming and, and whatever in that in, in his story. But the, the way that he has almost kind of commodified it, and, and it may be an entirely unthinking process, right? But the way the way he's managed to commodify it, uh, or you know, it, it is it is sold as a kind of authenticity in this bad, big bad league. Uh, that, that's the part of it I think doesn't doesn't it doesn't quite ring true for me because I don't, I don't think it's remotely sustainable. Uh, it's it's a pro- it's a product of Spurs fans just feeling despondent and needing something new, and and you know the Premier League just needing content, and you know co- people who need content needing something new and and, and shiny uh,
4: to, to to hang their hat on. Yeah. Or maybe he's just a really nice bloke. I mean, like,
2: like I'm a, like,
4: actually, you no. Know, the, the 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 small insight I have from people who've known him for years and years and years in Australia is, yeah, this is this is real, and he may be nice forever. He's, you know, he's not just, well, he's
0: kind of made a rod for his own back now because when uh, he was invited to criticise referees in the wake of, you know, Spurs being on the wrong end of several decisions that were all correct. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, he said you know he, he did his oh mate uh, you just there, there comes a point where you just have to accept referees decisions you know and if we don't we'll be everything will be refereed by some men in a box you know several miles away or in a bunker so he's made a rod for his own back at, in that regard insofar as at some point Spurs will be on the wrong end of some very egregious decisions and then he kind he of can't complain, can he? Or the mask will have been shown yeah. to have slipped.
4: Um, elsewhere, uh, Arsenal go to Brentford. Uh, David Raya can't play because uh, he's on loan. So, got me... Be harsh if Arteta didn't pick Ramsdale for the, for this one, wouldn't it? Um, maybe he'll try Kai Havertz at left back as he did for for Germany. Um, uh, Bernie West Ham, Luton, Palace, Forest, Brighton, Sheffield United, Bournemouth are the other games, and we'll of course look back at them on Monday.
0: The Sheffield United Bournemouth one is quite interesting in in, in a sort of your also ran fixtures in that it's it's Sheffield United they've hit a run of. Form insofar as they've won a game and drawn a game and not lost in two, but this is their first match against any of their fellow strugglers, unless you know not counting Everton, who are only now among the strugglers because of that deduction. Um, and Bournemouth go into the game on the back of a win, which obviously is good for them to get that win on the board. But the, the Newcastle team they beat was incredibly depleted, so. I wouldn't read too much into that particular result. So I think this is quite a significant game at the bottom.
4: Okay, that'll do for part two. Uh, Part three will uh, round up the Euro qualifiers.
2: Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team,
4: Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Wales drew with Turkey, Uh, Croatia beat Armenia. There was a moment where Wales were ahead and Croatia were drawing and we thought, oh, maybe Wales would get through. But it means they're in the playoffs. Uh, They'll play either Ukraine, Iceland or Finland in March. And if they win that, and that game is definitely at home... They will play uh, Poland or Estonia, and the home side of that will be uh, decided by a draw. And there are lots of paths, semi-final paths of who might play who in the playoffs. So uh, by all accounts, they played very well against Turkey, and it was a slightly dodgy penalty that they conceded amidst all the dodgy penalties that now exist in football. Um, uh, Nikki, thank you for your voice note the other day. That that definitely helped, because we didn't watch a a lot of Ukraine-Italy while we were on stage in Dublin. Um, Italy are in pot four, which is well I think fun I presume Italy don't think it's fun for the Euros
3: yeah I mean it's such an odd situation isn't it it's is literally the, the reigning champions the team that won this tournament last time are in the bottom pot I was saying this on the stage last night the most sort of perfectly optimistic take I've seen on Italy being in pot 4 is because every other team in pot 4 is going to be determined by the playoffs Italy are in fact the only team that when the uh, draw is made will know before the draw is made that they're going to know all of their opponents at the start of the draw so um, everyone else will have to wait a little while longer other than that I'm not seeing many perks to being in pot four yeah
4: well actually Serbia Switzerland also will uh, are in the same they're in pot four they they know they're in oh, they pot know now. four okay. Yeah, but there are the three playoff winners uh, England are in uh, pot one and Scotland in pot three. Uh, That draw is at the start of December, isn't it? Yeah, um, on the subject of the Czech manager leaving, uh, Matej from the Czech Republic got in touch to say... uh uh, the coach, Yaroslav Silavi, has actually been under a lot of pressure in our country in the last year or so, even though nobody in the rest of the footballing world, or not footballing world, cares about Czechs, he says. Uh, the general public here actually have pretty high standards when it comes to our team performances. After a draw against Moldova and a 3-0 defeat in Albania, there were lots of people who wanted him to be sacked. Uh, the fact we... Didn't manage to qualify until our last home game. is considered to be embarrassing here. The last draw was the fact that three players, Kuchta, Brabec, and uh, Vladimir Sufal, went clubbing till late at night on Saturday, two days before the deciding match. Uh, they were sent home, and Cialavi uh, thought it was a terrible betrayal from them. It doesn't seem seems inopportune to go night clubbing two days before your. Vital match. I'd be honest
0: at this stage of my life, it just seems inopportune
4: to go nightclubbing. <laughs> I think you're right at any point. <laughs> quite, I read an article in the Guardian about um quite sort of quite a bleak article about you know the last time you do anything. And there's always this thing saying you know there will be a last time you pick up your child because eventually they'll be like, Dad, I'm 15. What are you doing? And you know the sort of last time you do anything. And so yeah, and in that thing, he so, said you know I've, I've probably it's probably the I've never never going to go back to a nightclub. So there was a last time, but the last time I went to a nightclub, I was punched in the face by a Five foot tall girl who looked like was dressed as a clown. I mean, not not. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I'd like to point out. So, it was a it was a nice. It's your end. story. <laughs> i was actually been quite kind. Um, anyway, uh, he says uh, we the new... thing.
0: The thing about that is, if the option for you to go clubbing is there, yeah, you know, like say if your kid is twenty seven years old and. 18 stone the option to pick them up is harder pick them yeah, up is, is not really yeah, there yeah that's
4: true that's true um, anyway Matos says we should have a new manager that will prepare us for the Euros at the beginning of 2024 that is the Czech story in some context love your podcast keep up the good work um, uh, on, it-
0: on the subject of countries we hate I believe we got some criticism for not uh, doing a deep dive on Northern Ireland's yes. amazing win over Denmark. <laughs> yeah,
4: with apologies. We did say the goals were good. Um, uh, Brazil nil, Argentina won. Uh, they were good. They were lovely goals. But, you know, there's there's only so much time we have. Um so look, Brazil nil, Argentina won. And actually some really quite worrying scenes where the Brazilian police charged the Argentina fans uh, in response to some fighting in the stands during the national anthems. Uh, visiting supporters responded by ripping up and throwing seats at the officers. Fans near the uh, trouble panicked, came onto the pitch to escape the fighting. Um, I think Emmy Martinez at one point sort of jumped up and tried to mm. stop a policeman aiming a bat on at a fan. Um, players eventually returned. The match started... And Argentina won. So, Brazil have slipped to their third straight defeat. First ever at home in a World Cup qualifier, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, that's Brazil in sixth place, uh, which actually is a qualifying place now in uh, South American qualifying. I I thought it wasn't. But, yeah, so it seems very hard. It's almost impossible for Brazil not to qualify for the World Cup. And we probably want Brazil to qualify for the World Cup, don't we? Yeah, seventh place goes into that playoff. Yeah. uh, Republic of Ireland 1, New Zealand 1 uh, happened on stage while we are in Dublin. Thank you to everyone from Dublin who came to our show instead of watching that vitally important game uh, for the boys in green. Stephen Kenny has left his role uh, in charge of them. Uh, a statement on the FAI website says, Having reviewed the Euro 2024 qualification campaign in its entirety... And recognising how difficult the group was, the results needed to realise our goal of qualification were not achieved. Um, How long do you have to review it in its it's Just look at having looked at the table, we've noticed we haven't qualified. (laughs) The board agrees that now is the right time for a change ahead of the friendly matches in March and June 2024, the next Nations League campaign starting in September 2024. Um, That's probably the right decision, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, Kenny came in, he talked a good game, he didn't deliver, he he was always talking about you know looking ahead to the next set of fixtures and he very much made qualifying for the Euros a a priority and Ireland more or less were out of the group after two games so I'm not sure who'll take over or what they'll be able to do with that set of players we have some decent players we have Evan Ferguson but there's not much quality there and now there's no competitive fixtures for god what is it a year Mm. More Neil
4: Lennon is favourite. Uh, Lee Carsley, yes, is he? apparently five to two. He says, Uh, Lee Carsley and Roy Keane joint second favourites. Uh, Steve Bruce, Chris Hewton, Gus Poyet Big Sam, Jesus, that Damian is a Duff, seriously
0: uninspiring. List Rafa of, Benitez,
4: um, oh, I'd love Big Sam
0: there. Um, Daniel says, They can't, can't afford Big Sam, I mean, they can't afford half of those people, aren't they? Uh, because the, 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 the FR, like. 51 million pounds in debt. <laughs> that, uh, I wouldn't imagine ticket sales for are going to be, you know, particularly high in the next uh, year or two, because uh, there's no competitive fixtures and they don't have a sponsor for the senior men's team. So I, 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 you know, I can't see. I wouldn't mind seeing Big Sam in there just to see what he'd do, but he'd have to take a massive. You know what he would see as a pay cut, a derisory, to, a derisory yeah. stipend yeah. to to do the job.
4: Uh, Daniel says, "Can Horsham win the FA Cup through repeated administrative errors?" <laughs> <laughs> the magic of the Cart Barnsley who've been expelled for fielding an ineligible player uh, in their three nil first round replay at Horsham on the fourteenth of uh, November. So the seventh tier side Horsham uh, now go to Sutton in League Two. Uh, so good luck to them Carl says I had a great time at the show in Dublin on Monday great job everyone I didn't get my act together enough to ask a question has Barry ever referred to himself as a biffo a term of endearment for anyone from the beautiful county of Offaly
0: Well, it's not really a term of endearment because it's an acronym for big ignorant fucker from Offaly (laughs) (laughs) and it was coined uh, I think to describe Brian Cowan who used to be the Taoiseach slash Prime Minister of Ireland uh, who is from my neck of the woods Um, and yeah someone described him as a biffle big ignorant fucker from Offaly
4: Mike says hi Max and crew wanted to get in touch express my appreciation for your efforts on a very enjoyable show in Dublin on Monday night it was lovely to meet everyone afterwards Um, uh, I was the guy who'd seen Barry doing stand-up many years ago after getting my copy of the book signed I also bought a scarf and found myself accused of being a full kit wanker by Barry (laughs) himself Anyway, I got home, unfolded the scarf and had have two scarves. I'm not sure if the joke's on me or him. I had my vasectomy years ago before I found out about podcasts, so mine was soundtracked by the guy who sells the evening echo in Cork, yelling, <laughs> selling his wares on the street outside the clinic. It worked as a distraction... Uh, in that it was hard to tell which was more painful. Anyway, thanks again. I promise to make up for the scarf mix-up by not buying any merch next time. Uh, on the subject of Minnie Heffernan from Burr, your, your, <laughs> the postman who your taxi our taxi driver knew, PK says uh, is so called after a character in the Reardons, an Irish television soap of the sixties seventies. Minnie Heffernan later married Batty Brennan to become Minnie Brennan, which is probably the name Barry would know the character by.
0: I remember the Reardons. I don't remember any characters in it.
4: Oh, okay. Well, Alan says, has Max recently spoken to someone who used the phrase hoying a lot? He's just suddenly started using it. I don't know what it means. I presume it's just posh for getting it launched. Well, I I reckon
0: it's a Wilson thing because I have two friends from Sunderland called Jonathan mm-hmm. and they both use the word hoying a lot, mm. uh, often in a obscene... Uh, Context, but yeah, I think hoy the sort ball of upfield.
4: Yeah. I I think I get it from the the Geordie and Alan Partridge when he's talking about throwing the monkey off the cliff <laughs> and hoist it, hoied it into the sea.
0: <laughs> right. And then and well, I, maybe it's, it must be just
4: a northeastern thing. Yeah, then. and he says it hit a rock on the way down. that's a very funny scene. Anyway. um uh, that's probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, can we finally just send our love to Football365's Johnny Nicholson, friend of God? Oh, yes. uh, he's been on the panel before. Um, he's recovering in hospital after suffering a stroke. Uh, in his words, he says, I'm fucked, but won't be forever. Uh, he's still, <laughs> he still some He managed to write a column uh, this week, which is, you know, considering how difficult I find to write a column you know that's when I'm sitting in a cafe moan the sort of absolutely classic Johnny Nicholson that he managed to do one of those right at the start of his recovery. But we send you all our love, Johnny. He is a, he's a dreamer, Johnny. He's a good vibes man. He believes in the dream of football. I know you know this is probably hard for you to hear, but he's he's one of he's one of the good guys in the game, uh, and uh, we wish him all the best. I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, Johnny thank you thank you Nicky
3: Max didn't let me crowbar in it's a Derby d'Italia this week oh, initially yes. it's Juventus against Inter second against first so you know it'll probably be dreadful because uh, Max Legri's football is not very inspiring to watch but I'm taking my 20 seconds of Serie A chat and thanks uh, as you thanks should have done me.
4: and uh, yes I will download <laughs> Max Legri's tactic tactics app and get the most from it before that game uh, cheers Baz Thank you, Max. I
0: You're going back to Australia shortly, and I cannot wait to see the back of you, because I'm completely <laughs> sick of the sight of you. I got to the stage where, you know, before the
4: show, you know, we're just sitting in silence, you know, on trains, in total silence. God, I can see how bands fall apart. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, Jesus. I mean, we only did six yeah. days. So I imagine, know, over
0: two weeks. Uh, imagine doing like a two years, five gigs and a week
4: anyway thanks everybody who came to the live shows we hope you enjoyed them most people did not everybody did Um, but but we had a nice time if I never have to hear that anecdote about you in Thailand again Barry (laughs) (laughs) i will be too soon I'll be a happy man Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray with Joel Grove our executive producer is Max Anderson